0: Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 218. Today, we are talking about managing your inner critic, especially when you consider yourself a highly sensitive person. So if that sounds like you, stick around because you are going to want to hear from our guest today, Melody Wilding, who has some really great strategies and considerations for the folks she calls sensitive strivers. Before we dive in, I also want to let you know we have been offering a ton of new job search support at Bossed Up. I know that lots of folks are finding themselves navigating career transition and feeling a sense of job insecurity right now. You can head to BossedUp.org to see what upcoming workshops, live interactive online workshops I'm hosting to help with your job search and what job search workshops I've hosted in the past that you can now buy on demand to get the support you need in real time. I'm also making myself available for one-on-one support when it comes to resume writing, cover letter polishing, LinkedIn auditing, and making sure you're presenting yourself as persuasively as possible. And for the ultimate package of everything you need to really gain the modern job search skills that every professional needs these days to land your best possible next step. Enrollment is now open for Hired, my job search accelerator program that has been going strong for a few months now. It's a three-month-long program that involves weekly curriculum assignments and weekly accountability calls all with me and a group of four other people in your small group cohort. As one of our hired participants recently wrote... Hired has brought structure and accountability to what was already a really daunting and uncertain time in my life. Emily and the overall program make me feel supported and empowered because I know I'm putting my absolute best foot forward as I launch my job search. If that sounds of interest to you, head to bossedup.org gethired get to get all the details and reserve your spot now in our next cohort starting May 1st. All right, let's jump into today's conversation with Melody Wilding. She is a licensed social worker and executive coach who helps smart, sensitive, high achievers overcome insecurity and overwhelm so that they can thrive in the workplace. She helps both established and rising managers and executives advance in their careers, and her clients work at companies like Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, HP, and Deloitte. Melody has helped over 10,000 smart, self-aware professionals, and her coaching gives actionable strategies to reach your goals and concrete steps to overcome the complex struggles of success. She also writes about psychology and careers at Forbes, Fast Company, and more. Melody, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your work and the specific framework that you bring uh, when it comes to helping what you call sensitive strivers. And I want to ask you more about that. But first, tell us a little bit about how you found yourself doing this work.
1: (laughs) Of course, you know, they say we uh, teach what we most need to learn. So uh, I found my way to this work because I am a sensitive striver myself. I am Mm. someone who my entire life grew up having people tell me I take things so personally and you're so sensitive and, you know, just really feeling like I had big emotions and thought everything through so deeply Mm. and really felt very self-conscious about that my whole life. And I think in part, it's what drew me. My background is originally in psychology and I started my career as a therapist and really kind of followed a path that was laid out for me. And I think a lot Mm. of listeners can relate to that, that you sort of go through school, you're brought up in a certain way, especially as women, we want to be the A-plus student. We want to be involved in everything. We're sort of groomed to be pleasers in that way. And that was certainly the case for me. And just being so hyper-attuned to everybody else's needs early on in my career really led me astray. And it wasn't until, you know, I had to really have... Some eye-opening situations that put me on the path of really taking my therapeutic experience and really translating that into coaching. And so that's what I do today. Um, So I'm a licensed social worker in terms of background. And now I'm a executive and a leadership coach for people who I call sensitive strivers, as you were mentioning.
0: Yeah. Let's talk more about that because... I hear what you're saying about always having had big feelings, which I feel like the world is constantly telling women to quiet those down, <laughs> to not be so sensitive, to not be so empathic. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also see the literature that says empathy is a superpower and it makes you an amazing leader. What's the reality? You know, like what is, what is the true narrative when it comes to empathy? Is it, it going to hurt or help your career?
1: Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit because it might be helpful for the listeners if I define what a sensitive striver is a little bit. I mean, the the term is kind of self-explanatory and that's on purpose. But to me, I've been doing this work now for almost a decade. And I just kept seeing patterns among my clients of what they were struggling with. Confidence, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, people-pleasing, um overfunctioning, overworking, burnout. And just this constellation of very similar things kept coming up. And as I was, I mentioned to you before we got on this call that I'm working on a book. And as I was thinking a- about the thesis for the book, I went through an exercise of putting all these things on a whiteboard and stepped back from them and kind of and said to myself, there's this sensitivity in ambition. Pieces, mm. the two things combined together. The kind of disposition of thinking and feeling everything more deeply, processing the world and yourself and your interactions with other people at a deeper level, but also this inner drive, ambition, putting a lot of pressure on yourself. And then I kind of had this light bulb moment that, oh, these people are sensitive
0: strivers. So that's where it came from. I love that because I do think it captures a very specific kind of ambitious person. Yes. And I have to be completely honest. This is so not me. (laughs) (laughs) I love hearing that. I'm glad to have you on here because I think there's a subset of my listener base who I have not served in this capacity, because I don't fully understand it. So I'm the kind of person who's like, you know, just put your head down and keep working and fight hard. And I'm sometimes oblivious to other people's feelings to a fault. And so I, I do feel like there's a superpower to being the peacekeeper. And I tend to hire people like this on my team, I have a bunch of people who feel big feelings on my team and who are constantly playing peacekeeper, you know, and so I wonder what are some of the challenges that you see come up that you help these kinds of folks with and and how does it often manifest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think this goes back to your earlier question. And so a sensitive striver, the way I've conceptualized it is that we generally have six key qualities, which conveniently make up the acronym STRIVE. So we have sensitivity, which is being more attuned to your environment more easily uh, overstimulated. So um, some of your listeners may be familiar with Elaine Aaron's work. She is the author who originally book, uh, who originally wrote the book The Highly Sensitive Person way back about 25 years ago. And so um, it's based on her work where sensitivity is actually a genetic disposition. There's brain differences, genetic differences in the way highly sensitive people, process the world at a deeper level neurologically and biologically speaking.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So sensitivity is the first one. Then we have thoughtfulness. So really just that depth of thought being very insightful. A lot of my clients have been called wise. They're deep thinkers. They're very reflective, intuitive. On the flip side, that can lead to overthinking. They also tend to be highly critical of themselves. So then we have thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. then we have responsibility. That's the R. So responsibility tends to show up as, you know, they take the, wor- the weight of the world on their shoulders. They are the one at work who will always jump in to get that project done or stay late to make sure it's done. They tend to be the rescuers on their team. Mm. So you can probably tell a theme among all of these qualities that they have upsides as well as downsides. Totally. So that's R. Then we have I, which is inner drive. I talked about that a little bit, setting a lot of goals, putting a lot of pressure on yourself to achieve those goals, being very ambitious. Flip side can lead to a lot of perfectionism, setting unrealistic targets for yourself and beating yourself up when you fall behind.
0: Yeah, and I'm seeing that in some of my clients right now. Yes. Especially in this face of such uncertainty, this feeling of like I need to dive in and help everybody else before I help myself. And then 2 weeks, 3 weeks into that, you're like, "Oh my god. Yes. I can't peel myself off the floor today, you know, and there's <laughs> nothing left." Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And
1: that's sort of connected to the next one, which is V, which is vigilance. And that's really being of connects to that piece of being aware of everything that's around you, but sensitive strivers tend to be exceptionally uh, conscious of other people's reactions and putting other people ahead of themselves, always putting their own needs in the back seat. Um, And then the last one is emotionality, which we talked about a a little bit, having big emotions, complex emotions can also lead to getting highs of joy and gratitude and all these wonderful emotions but also getting stuck in the lows of anger, fear, panic, more than other Mm. people. So that's the framework. And you were asking, you know, how do you turn this into a superpower? And I think that's an amazing question because it is a fine line. You know, if any of these strengths are overused or misapplied, that's where I see trouble come in or self-sabotage come in. And so it's really about looking at how your current, thoughts, actions, behaviors are serving you and recalibrating, kind of reapplying those strengths in a different way so that they're more constructive.
0: Do you feel like oftentimes these characteristics and tendencies and behaviors lead to burnout? And just what we're really talking about here is helping sensitive strivers embrace self-care or is is it more nuanced than that?
1: I think a large symptom of how they misapply their strengths does show up as burnout. I see mm. that a lot, but I think it is more nuanced than that. Like I tend to see a lot of sensitive strivers fall into overfunctioning, and that tends to come about when your responsibility is on overdrive. Mm. You feel like you're the one that has to swoop in to fix everything, or a lot of times you've made people so dependent on you to come yeah. to answer answers, to fix situations, whatever it may be, to get things done, to be the one that volunteers information. Um, and when you over-function, that teaches other people that they can under function. And so it creates this really problematic dynamic.
0: I've seen this in a lot of interpersonal relationships, yes. <laughs> of very high functioning women Yes, who are not met halfway by their yes. loved ones exactly. on this. So what is the antidote to that? Like, how do you even begin to interfere and bring in, harness those superpowers in a way that's more sustainable and fair to yourself and those around you?
1: Yeah, well, it's, uh, as much as I wish I could say, there was a single magic bullet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like most things, it's a little more complex than that. And I think it comes... It all has to start with your relationship with yourself. And I know that something we wanted to talk about today is the inner critic. And yeah let's talk about that. <laughs> for sensitive strivers, they tend to have a very, very loud inner critic and to be very driven by that in terms of the high expectations they hold themselves to. And a lot of that is what drives some of that overfunctioning because they feel they have to do those things or they should do those things. And a lot of that is driven by that negative self-talk and you're not doing enough. Why are you lazy? Or people are counting on you. So it really does start with the stories that you're telling yourself inside your own head.
0: Mm. And what is it? What does that inner critic sound like sometimes? Like what are, what are some of the thoughts that keep you behaving in that over-functioning way?
1: Yeah. So the voice of the inner critic, it's very self-critical. It's that voice that I think most people see it in retrospect when they realize it's something that has sabotaged them from not going for what they want in their career or in their life in some way. So it's that voice that tells you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, You, uh, who are you to speak up in that meeting or you don't have anything intelligent to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's that tendency that also makes us feel like people are uh, exaggerates that sense that people are judging us or highlights how much we could mess up or fail. And that really takes a toll on your confidence when you start believing it or you're completely, all your actions are completely driven by it.
0: Right. And I almost wonder at what point does this get awfully close to an anxiety disorder (laughs) because, you know, I talk with my therapist about anxiety being both helpful and when, you know, over-functioning can be harmful and that it keeps you aware of risk, but it almost sounds like you're overestimating the potential risks involved in speaking up or going for that promotion or putting yourself out there. And when it when our anxiety tells us that risk is far greater and far more catastrophic than it is, it can paralyze us. So I just wonder from your based on your background uh, and training in this, where do you see that overlapping? Do you often see anxiety disorders presenting with this sensitive striver? Sometimes, sometimes. Yes. Are
1: sensitive people more predisposed to have anxiety disorders? for sure, because of just our natural tendencies. Same with imposter syndrome, which isn't something that's clinically diagnosable, Right. but same thing there. So yes, it is a fine line. Typically an anxiety disorder is when something significantly interferes with your daily functioning across multiple domains of your life. So right. sometime, most of the time I will see people who come to me for coaching who this shows up a lot in their work, in their professional life specifically for some reason, but their personal life, they're all good, (laughs) right? They're able to achieve things, but for some reason it's manifesting at work, whatever
0: Mm. their
1: tools and coping mechanisms in that context aren't as strong for whatever reason, or they haven't really learned. And so that would not qualify. Yeah.
0: Right. That would not be a clinically diagnosable anxiety disorder because you're saying it doesn't permeate every domain of their life, right? Correct.
1: It wouldn't be generalized anxiety
0: disorder. Disorder, Correct. right? Yeah, that's a good key difference. Mm-hmm. What What would you say to the the people out there and the books written on this subject that say, "Women, just be more confident. You just need confidence. You know, just have faith in yourself under all circumstances all the time." That's the antidote to this problem.
1: Yeah, I would say it's a lot of BS. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of BS, maybe. I think a lot of us, while it's well meaning. It's easier to say than to put into practice. It's also not realistic. A healthy person with a healthy ego doubts themselves at times. And this is a a conversation I often have with my clients. I have a lot of clients actually starting new jobs in this very uncertain time. And that's sort of amplifying those feelings of, am I gonna provide enough value in this role? I'm really worried about all the unexpected things that are gonna come across my plate. And I always tell them, it's completely normal. You feel this way. It would worry me if you didn't feel this way. When that inner critic comes up, it's your brain doing exactly what it's designed to do. It's doing its job in that moment. So if you can change your relationship with it, a lot of us try to fight it off or ignore it. Or we beat ourselves up for saying like, here you go again, you're falling into that same pattern. And we just kind of spiral down. But if you can catch yourself in that moment Mm -hmm. and flip it to say, my mind is, it's doing its job and almost thank it, have gratitude for it's trying to help you. It may be misdirected and you can take control in that moment, but it is trying to help you.
0: Right. I think that's a really helpful message for folks who feel inadequate in the, in the, light of the confidence conversation. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there that say, you know, just be more confident, just be more assertive. And I love assertiveness. I talk a lot about assertiveness. But when I think sensitive strivers hear that message, they often feel like that's just not me. That's never going to be me. I'm inadequate. I'm wrong. I'm broken. And reframing it into something more Open to growth, right? Looking at that with a growth mindset and saying, this is a quality of mind that can be used in really helpful and productive ways. It's trying to help me. I still have choice and agency in how I choose to respond is so, so important. Mm -hmm. And it's important for people like me in the assertiveness space who are like being sensitive to not everyone's intuitively inclined to be outspoken and be assertive and how they raise their hand and put themselves out there. When you feel that sense of risk, when you hear that inner critic, that self-doubt, how can we encourage people to move forward in the face of uncertainty with self-doubt there in a productive way? Like, how can we get out of paralysis Mm -hmm. and get into action and move forward without 100% confidence in ourselves along the way?
1: Yeah. Great question. And I love what you said. Two important words you said before were choice and agency. And that is everything, because especially if you're someone who has lived with this inner critic at varying levels your whole life, you can almost start to feel a bit helpless to it and that it's so automatic that you feel like you don't have any control over it. So regaining that sense of agency and control is so crucial. So I actually have a few hacks I would love to share with people um, that are kind of quick, easy ways to stall and kind of redirect the inner critic and it's tracks. Yeah, please. So the first one is a question I love sharing with all of my clients, which is, what am I making this mean? So whenever you have, usually there's some sort of event or situation that we're perceiving as stressful to us that sets off this cascade of our inner critic being triggered and judging Mm. ourselves and feeling inadequate, all of that. So instead of just kind of falling down that spiral, pausing to ask yourself that question, what am I making this mean? Because it's usually our interpretation of the situation that then influences our actions. So the story you're telling yourself about the situation can either empower you or completely sabotage you. So really choosing a more generous or helpful or even realistic interpretation of a situation can really
0: just help you kind of snap out of that spiral and move forward. It's so interesting. I saw an example of this on Instagram just the other day by uh, Lovey Ajayi, who, if you don't follow her, I'll drop her Instagram in the show notes. She's fantastic. And she posted a little mini snippet of a conversation between her and her therapist mm-hmm. and in light of all that's happening right now and the global uncertainty she was saying to her therapist probably like an overfunctioner you know someone who's like overfunctioning in the face of 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 stress she said you know this is a moment i got to sink or swim you know this is the time you've got to always keep be fighting hard right now because it's sink or swim and her therapist said is that it? Is it only sink or swim? Are those your only two options? What if you just float? <laughs> and Lovey's head was like exploding with that mind blown emoji. And I remember thinking that's a perfect example of how your perception of the situation and your relationship to the situation, to the reality can control your behaviors in a much more profound way. So you know, we make this into a sink or swim moment. I'm either getting into the school or not. I'm either going to land this contract or not. This is the end all be all. And when we hype ourselves up like that, it can produce, you know, a, a ton of motivation and, and bordering on over-functioning. But then if we don't get it, the ca- like the catastrophic feeling is so paralyzing that Adjusting how we relate to that situation is what you're saying, right? And asking yourself, am I over calculating the salience of this or the significance of this moment? Does that
1: sound like what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that example, that's (laughs) that's a perfect example. And I'll give you another example that I had with a client yesterday. I work with a lot of people, especially, you know, sensitivity and introversion tend to go hand in hand, about 70% of sensitive people are also introverted. And so that can make things especially complicated for speaking up in meetings. So I work with a lot of people around how do I be more visible in my organization? And how do I make sure I get my voice heard in an assertive way, as you were saying, and in a way that feels natural to me. And so we were talking about this and it really as we sort of dug deeper and really unpacked what was going on for her, it was the the thought she was having about the audience that she was speaking to. And she had all these stories in her head about how they were evaluating her and judging her and what they were thinking and how they were disappointed. And that was just, it was keeping her from saying anything, (laughs) number one. And then when she would speak, she was falling all over herself because she was psyching herself out in the moment. Mm. And so once we examined that more closely and gave her different ways, even different options at first for viewing the situation, you don't even have to believe them at first. I like to say, you just have to think about different options at first. It made all the difference. It really just released her and gave her permission to see the whole situation in a new light. Mm.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Great hack. Yeah. All right. Hit us with
1: another hack. I love
0: these. (laughs)
1: So this one, it might sound a little bit silly, but I want everyone to believe me and just try it because it works. And that is to give your inner critic a name, to personify it in some way. And this is useful. It might sound a little cheesy, but it's very useful because you create distance between that negative self-talk and that voice and yourself. Um, So you start to see it as something outside of you. I had a client who I recently just did this with, and they called theirs Darth Vader, and uh, they also got a little Darth Vader action figure, to, and put that Not on it. their on their desk. And every time that their inner critic started acting up, they just kind of looked at that action figure and were like, "Not today, Darth." And it was just, <laughs> it, it was a fun way. It brought some lightness to something that can feel just very, very heavy. So it's a kind of silly, lighthearted way of starting to relate to your inner critic differently. Mm. And also, also to see it as something that lacks credibility in a way, it helps minimize it and start to put the voice in perspective. Something, it doesn't need to be something that dominates you. It can be something you can, it can be there and you can work alongside of it. You can acknowledge it, but you don't have to necessarily buy into what it's saying.
0: Right. I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert who once said or wrote in one of her books, "Like you can come along for the ride, but yeah. you're sitting in the back seat." You know, to mm-hmm. fear, kind of personifying self doubt and saying you're not driving. Okay, you're in the you're in the car. Mm-hmm. We can't ditch you, but and I'm going to acknowledge that you're there. I'm not going to pretend you're not there, but you're not driving. And I really love that idea, personifying it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that is so, so helpful. I, I wonder, you know, as you're working on your book, which congratulations is super exciting. Thank you. You know, what's like the one takeaway you want sensitive strivers to get from your work?
1: Yeah, the biggest takeaway for me would be that sensitivity can be your biggest strength. It already is your biggest strength. You just have to get out of your own way. And a lot of this is unlearning, the ways of being that we've accumulated over years before that as we, particularly as we level up in our careers, we need to adapt and change how we're expressing ourselves. And, uh, so that would be the the biggest takeaway that I would say for people is that sensitivity is your biggest strength.
0: I love that melody. Well, where can our listeners
1: learn more about you and your work? Yeah. Thank you so much for this, Emily. Uh, You can find me at my website, which is melodywilding.com. That's the best place to find me.
0: Awesome. We'll drop a link to your site in the show notes today. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your perspectives on all this. This is really, really helpful.
1: Amazing. Thank you
0: so much for having me. If you'd like to learn more about Melody Wilding and her fantastic work, head to today's show notes at bossedup.org slash episode 218, where you can find links to everything she referenced today. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Recently in the Bossed Up Courage community, I saw this great post from Cindy, who wrote about being stood up for two interviews in one day. To be honest, I was shocked to hear how many job seekers just get completely blown off for job interviews when the interviewer fails to call them at the agreed-upon time. It is such a vulnerable experience and really unfair to job seekers who are probably pacing around their, their home or their apartment, preparing furiously for this interview only for it to not happen. It's just so rude. But Cindy handled it in such an elegant way. Here's what she wrote. Eventually, I was able to get in touch with both interviewers who apologized profusely and reschedule the interviews. One was yesterday, and the other was this morning. Both interviews went well, and her are- good opportunities, though quite different from one another. I'll let you know how it all turns out. Thanks for your support and suggestions. First of all, congrats, Cindy, on not losing your head and keeping your cool. And eventually, based on all the great advice she got from from listeners like you in the Boss Up Courage community, she took your great advice and followed up calmly, coolly, collected via email and was able to move forward to the next round of interviews. So it's a good lesson for all of us. We have to give each other grace, especially in this time of chaos right now, and assume good intentions, even when you get stood up for a job interview that you're excited about. Cindy, we are cheering for you. We are rooting you on and can't wait to hear what's next for you and your career. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum that you want me to unpack on the podcast next, call them in in the Bossed Up podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. You can also record a voice memo and send it my way via email for inclusion in a later show. Until next time, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together let's lift as we climb.